0: Well, Jay, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling a little cooped up here. It's time. Uh, it's time for a move. I think get some uh, some space, some
1: bigger yard, that kind of thing. What do you think? You're really gonna move, but like that's like that's a big deal. Like you can't do it that in your. It is a big deal. You're scared to even leave your living room.
0: <laughs> it's a it seem, what seems like a big deal moving, isn't when you use the right people. You can use these sell your own home situations where you're, you're bartering with a guy in your driveway for 45 minutes and you end up selling for $3, or you can use a professional that makes moving actually simple. Who are we gonna but use?
1: But the problem is obviously Tom, but my worry is like you're so far, you're in Orleans.
0: Tom will come to Orleans, he'll go to Russell, he'll go to Clarence Creek, he'll go to West of the Westie Village, wherever it is out there. <laughs> he'll go anywhere for you and make that experience that you were talking about of nervous or a lot of work, make it seem like nothing. Bastian and Ferguson will literally smooth out the easiest move of your life. Wow,
1: even in Orleans, I just can't get over that
0: yeah once you hit 10th line 11th line 14th line he's still coming he's driving in his brand new dodge caravan that carries his family around in will sell your home that's what i'm looking for an easy ride with bastion and ferguson look them up he's gonna sell you quick and easy Hill, have you ever played FIFA on a PlayStation or an Xbox? Yes,
2: but very, very, very badly. Yeah, really badly, incredibly badly.
1: Like against another child, and you lost, like against somebody else, and you lost. Oh, no, every
2: kid in the world can kick my ass at FIFA. I mean, you know, it has to be a grown man, it's the only one I stand a chance with. Yeah, I mean, it's as bad as me when I'm playing hockey. I basically, cause you know, uh, you know, I'll go in and I'll, you know, I'll be like, Hey guys, I can't play very well. And they're what? like, yeah, yeah, me neither. My, uh, my slap shots are a little slow. I'm like, no, no, really. I can't play hockey very well. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Then I get on the ice and I basically search for a five-year-old so I can fall on. You know, and I take the <laughs> puck and I throw it to somebody. That's my, it's my go-to move playing hockey in, on the ball. So.
1: But you can fight. I, I read that you can actually fight like you're, you're, you can box. You enjoy uh, it.
2: I, yes, I do. Um, and I do a lot of martial arts um, and I do a lot of training in Cuba. Uh, again, I'm not particularly good at it, um, but I like that in kind of intensity. Uh, like yourselves, uh, when I do sports, I do it pretty intense. Um, and I found that with martial arts, it was no longer depending on, you know, 17 other men to show up on time to have a hard, you know, practice. I I could do it by myself. I could um, hire the best in the world because the Cuban boxers and martial arts guys, um, I I mean, basically you can, you can hire them uh, for their month's salary for a ridiculous price and they're, and they're fantastic. And, and they're, they're men like yourselves who who think about how to exercise, who think about how to work out. So if there's anybody listening, um, I strongly recommend getting on a plane, getting down to Havana um, and you'll find um, you know, just just the world's best martial artists and boxers ready to train you. That's wow. incredible. That's... Wow,
1: that
0: was Declan Hill's uh, opener. Steve <laughs> O'Kane, soccer snob number one. Yes, Mark. When you open and have a yogurt, do you lick the lid before you get into the yogurt?
3: Yes, always. Do. I don't want to waste.
0: Okay, practical. I like that. Jason Whiting, soccer snob number two. If you're offered to do a charity boxing match, against the Burnley manager, Sean Dyche. Do you take it?
1: A hundred percent. One million percent. I love boxing. I'm not as good. I enjoy boxing and I don't mind getting hit. And you guys know in my past, that's important.
0: That's important. So Declan Hill is our guest today. He's a journalist, academic, and consultant. He's one of the world's foremost experts on match fixing and corruption in international sports. In 2008, Hill obtained his doctorate in sociology at the University of Oxford. Currently, he's a senior research fellow anti-corruption in sports at the University of I'm going to kill this, but Würzburg. Würzburg, Würzburg in Germany, and a professor at the University of New Haven. His book, The Fix: Organized Crime in Soccer, has been read all over the world. He was the first person to show the new danger to international sports posed by the globalization of gambling of the gambling market and match fixing at the highest levels in professional soccer. In 2011, you pioneered the first online anti-match fixing, fixing education course, which I found really interesting. Cool. And he has a second book, The Insider's Guide to Match Fixing. In your spare time, after all this, you have spare time. I don't know how. Uh, you're Like you mentioned, you're a keen amateur boxer and lead a group of recreational boxers in Havana, in Havana and won a f- uh, a fight you won yeah. a boxing match against the manager of a pub here in ottawa actually yep.
2: yeah, and it actually was that historic night um Trudeau. Justin Trudeau was fighting um senator what's his name uh, the other guy uh, yeah. at ten o'clock Brazzo. It was yeah prazo, thank you, and I was fighting at nine forty five um and that was my first ever fight and it guys it was a nightmare because they, they got yeah, they got it. me embroiled by it by saying, hey, you can fight like another journalist. And I'm like, done. You know, yeah. me, <laughs> me, a journalist, we'll take out our pocket squares. We'll do a little bit of floofy work and, and done. You know, I might even have to take off my reading glasses. Maybe the other guy will do as well. And then we'll go for a martini or something. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway. Six weeks before the fight, and I've got to send a, a say a, a shout out to Final Round. It's a fantastic boxing club in in, in Ottawa. Yeah. The guys come to me and say, "Hey, Deck, um, uh, we couldn't find another journalist to fight you, but don't worry, we've got the owner of a nightclub in downtown Ottawa, and and I'd sparred with a guy before, and he's a big bruiser. Yeah, he's a I'm bruiser. like an idiot." like a moron. I didn't go, I didn't sign up for that. Like, are you kidding? Like, I, know, I didn't signed up to, you know, to fight with some poofy other journalist. Um, anyway, I, I just got uh, uh, scared and I got on a plane and went to Cuba and basically put myself through a rocky training thing. I, I found okay. Cuba's national champion in boxing.
3: That's pretty good.
2: Um, and, um, we fought 15 rounds, uh, every day, uh, for two weeks. Um, wow. and I would, so, uh, you know, I did kind of the, you know, the Jason everyday ritual for two weeks. I got up early, did cardio, had a huge breakfast and then cycled down to this boxing gym. And he just, you know, he beat me up and, but beat me up smart. They said, yeah. we're going to, we're going to make this training so hard yeah. that any fight you do is going to be easy. That's- um, so yeah, that's uh, that's what I did. And so I can, was, I, uh,
3: can I can yeah. I can I actually inflate your ego a little bit here, like to hopefully get you on our side? I would have the word I used after watching that for you is technician. The other guy was the like slugger, clubber Lang. He's he's going for the knockout at the end. You add him on points, and he was swinging very technical. You, I, I wouldn't have said I, I could tell you went to a van out of box, but I could tell you trained, you know, yeah, box, so very is, technical. Is like
0: a real science. It's, there's a science to it. Yeah. And it's like an intellectual can box easier than a bruiser, in my opinion. Well, well, that,
2: I mean, that was the thing that, that um, I could never, I could never be as strong as him I had to bring my brains to the yeah. situation because as you guys know, as all Canadians know, it was televised nationally. And I thought, oh my goodness, every ex-girlfriend of mine's going to be watching, <laughs> you know, like, oh good, you know? And then all, my, all the journalists who yeah. wouldn't do what I did were in the room and I knew yeah. that they'd yeah. be happy. Like, oh, one of us is getting the crap kicked out of him, Ha, yeah. ha, ha. Yeah. So it was a lot of, there was a lot of pressure. And I just thought, okay, I'll do what Jason would do. I'll think my way out of the situation. That's awesome. Jason, you notice the subtle flattery I'm doing by the way? Yeah,
1: yeah. I know. I love it. And yeah, I got
2: emails from from your fans, the blog the blogosphere fans and they're just yeah. like suck up to Jason. So that's what I'm doing very
1: subtly. Oh, that's amazing. You, you won't even
2: notice. It's just so <laughs> under the table. No,
1: <laughs> no I, I think it's it. going to be the reverse, but I love it. I love hearing my name. I like Good. I love hearing my name.
2: Yeah. Um Jason, can I also do another shout out? Um <laughs> uh georgetown pub i know it's yeah, now transformed yeah. into another one i'm not going to mention its name yeah. uh but i wrote my second book and bits of the first book at the georgetown and really back
0: of the really pub. wow yep. no, i used to yeah. love i was there all the time i loved it i know i know i recognize you guys from <laughs> yeah. there. So it was front. you in the corner writing it was me That's in weird. the
2: corner uh yeah. and i'd go there late at night um you know every sec you know every moment just to kind of as I was writing best-selling books about soccer, I wanted to be in a milieu of soccer <laughs> and the Georgetown owners at that time uh, were great. They'd just be like, you know, Oh yeah, you're the eccentric guy. Yeah, whatever. And it would be a little side room, uh, there and I just yeah. sit there and, and just and you know bang the room out. exactly. Yeah, yeah, and just bang out the stuff. So, wow. anyway, that's my shout out to the final round in Georgetown. These are great yeah. Ottawa
0: institutions. Yeah, well, thank awesome. you for that. So, before we jump into your uh, world renowned work there on match fixing, I want to start quickly by finding out like what got you into investigative journalism because there's a big difference between journalism where you're tapping in starbucks and where you were in iraq and and other i mean investigative journalism is extremely dangerous yeah um look i
2: i didn't go to journalism school and it's marked me in all kinds of ways (laughs) because i thought i i agree with you mark but when i was entering the profession i just thought all journalists were investigators i just thought that was part of it and what I've realized is what I think all of our podcast listeners have realized is that 90% of journalism is secretarial. It's like reading the New York times and phoning somebody up and booking them to come on your show. And it's following the common herd. And, and in this time moving right away from soccer, but at this time, uh, you know, when the Chinese are coming for us, when there's all kinds of uh, surveillance capitalism going on, when our, our very world is, is, um, you know, at, at risk, we need independent investigative journalists more than ever, and we're losing them. So I was always drawn to uh, investigative jur- journalism. I just think by that, because I hadn't been trained any other way. Okay, so it's amazing.
0: if you wanted to delve in that dangerous world, when did match fixing pop into this? Uh, like, I mean, usually, you know, investigative journalism is in the war zone or in a, you know, kind of thing like that. And then all of a sudden, now you've hit this niche that I don't know if anybody's ever done that.
2: Yeah. Um, I was, I was working for a, a CBC television called the fifth estate. Um, and uh, I was actually up in Ottawa. It was a really uh, traumatic summer. My, my um, father was dying and I was playing for a soccer team that I think you guys know called the Ottawa Royals. Yeah. Uh, and the, the Royals guys had been incredibly nice to me. I'd come up late. Um, they had no idea who I was, but I was just like, look, guys, I love the game. Can you get me on any team? And they were bent over backwards. And I had to get um, a a car, uh, a rental car to drive out to, I think it was, we were playing the Gloucester Hornets or something. Mm -hmm. So I walk into this um, uh, car rental place and there is a magazine, details magazine, which I think is now folded. And it had a story on the connection between the Russian mafia and the national hockey league. Yeah. And I read it and I was just like, "Whoa, wow. this is the biggest story in Canada because NHL is a super big yeah. sports league in the rest of the world. To us Canadians, it's basically the religion." Yeah. Um so I began to retrace that detailed story about how there were key members of the Russian mafia had links with prominent NHL stars. And and Mark, when I mean prominent,
3: yeah.
2: I mean For the it. very top. Yeah. Um And I mean, not just like, hey, they went to the same nightclubs or parties, but they were in business together. Uh, One guy, um, a guy called Fatisov, who was at that point a major member of the Detroit Red Wings who just won the Stanley Cup. His name was on FBI documents in a courtroom, you know, in the Southern District of New York, as being the owner of the main money laundering vehicle for the guy who the FBI named as head of the Russian mafia in America mental so this was an amazing story so that got me into looking at the role of organized crime in sport
0: wow yeah see that's that's all it takes eh? is picking up a, a something to read rather you know what i mean you pick up something off the cuff and that can change your life something so something no i so think similar. it's
2: playing for the ottawa
0: royals guys i no, think that was don't. I, I was, do oh I was a royal too so we're on the same page i was a
3: royal i love it we're mark, can i derail you mark like because i'm <clears> killing you because your questions are so good but I'm, I'm scared shitless of this interview because, and I'm, in, I'm reading your book, I'm so close to being done. That's a whole other long story that I can bore you with another time. But like, it's so, and I think you've spoken to this before, Declan. It is so hard to listen to this and have your innocence broken or, you know, and that it's such a scary book to read from that perspective. And I'm sure you face that. And in your book, you speak of that, how people don't want to know. And I, I, I would assume there's, a, we have four listeners, Declan, two of them probably don't want to know about this and won't listen. So you're now going to probably be the least listened to guest we've had because of this topic. Like, <laughs> it's a scary topic.
2: Look, I, I, I face this question. Uh, let me deal with how I've dealt with it in, in the media, yeah. because there's a whole bunch of guys that have come and said, I don't like soccer. And I'm like, hang on a second. There's two journalists in this conversation. And only one of us has risked our lives to <clears> protect <throat> soccer. And it's not you. Yeah. And so I've put my life on the line yeah. because of all the stuff that soccer gave back to me and and was amazing. And I believe that we can clean up soccer. I believe that we can stop the, the stuff. I, I believe I've had a very, very small but somewhat influential um, catalyst role in helping the guys at the US Department of Justice decide that it was time to clean up FIFA. They approached yeah. me after their, it was finished and said, hey, we all read your book and we all thought this was important so we can win this battle we can make this amazing sport that we love um, clean but i understand a fan who's like man this is so painful like soccer's given me so much i remember watching the brazil ghana game in the 2006 world cup where the boys had told me we fixed this game Uh, the boys and and i'll get into it was a gang of asian match fixes whose group i had infiltrated and I remember there being tears in my eyes. You know, it wasn't—I wasn't weeping at the end, but it was just like this is where it ends. Yeah. This is where my innocence ends, and yeah. this is where I've just got to go. Okay, guys, it's deep. The corruption is entrenched. Um, it's a new form of corruption. This match fixing—we all knew Sepp Blatter was corrupt, but this is yeah. new. That's and different. we've got to clean it up. Um, can I, so, can yeah. I just
1: ask a question? Can I follow up on that because um, I was listening to your podcast and. When you say fixing the, that, that game was fixed, um, not to go into too much detail, but was it fixed in the way that the Ghana players were approached or the Brazil guys, the Brazil team was fixed? Like the Ghana team, because they were lower level, they, that, there was more incentive for them to fix it. Is it correct?
2: Um, if anybody's listening, um, I, it, it, with a, with some skepticism and cynicism, let me unpack this for you, um, because what you what you've just heard is going to be like, is just going to blow your mind. Yeah. That that a that a, that a football match in the World Cup could be fixed. You know, one of those top sixty four games in the world could be fixed. So, um, let me just unpack this and take some time mm-hmm. uh, to, to to explain why there has been. Match fixing at every single major international football tournament since at least 1991, if not before, and then we can make the turn into how badly it's affected the Canadian game yeah. and how it is, it, how it's turned Canada into probably the, along with China, the most underperforming football nation in the world. Um, a faction of players had been working on the Ghanaian national team had been working with Dan Tan and the other fixes for years. Uh, Not all of the players, some of the players like Sully Montari were deeply, deeply anti-match fixing. They were just, they were absolutely uh, appalled by it. But, but there was a faction working with the Ghanaian, you know, on the Ghanaian national team at that time. Um, They're not alone. The Ghanaian national team, uh, is not alone. And here's, here's the trigger for all our listeners to understand about why there was fixing going on, is of those 32 teams at the big World Cup, be it men's, women's, under 17, under 20, four or five of them don't get paid. I mean, the teams don't get paid. And FIFA sends them, to be fair to FIFA, it's a corrupt organization, but to be fair to them, they do send nine or 10 million to the national football associations of every single country that's going to the World Cup and saying, okay, this is for your hotel, your food, you know, all your travel logistics, your players, salary bonuses, whatever you want for your coaches and managers. And most of the teams, you know, the, the, the ones who are always in with a running Germany, Argentina, Italy, Britain, excuse me, not Britain, but England, all those guys take it really, really seriously. And they supplement that money. Many of the sub-Saharan African teams, the directors, the chair of the National Football Associations, take that money and put it in their pockets, and the guys never see it. So you have that phenomenon, Jason, of you know, one of the world's biggest sporting events are watched by billions of people around the world sponsors, you know, you know, 32, uh, big major sponsors. The stadium is full, uh, you know, the entire thing, the guys they're playing against, you know, as they're running out are getting paid and they're not,
3: mm-hmm. and
2: they should be, yeah. but they're not. So the guys, um, you know, I was in a lot of those meetings and the guys were just like, look, um, uh, you know, you do your best for the first couple of games, but when you play one of those big teams, you know you're going to lose. Why don't you lose with a hundred thousand bucks in your pocket? Yeah. And the sad part is that those players and the guy who was running the little cabal for them, their former goalkeeping coach, had more trust in the fixers to pay them than they did in their National Football Association. Yeah. Um, I'll give you one more example, just like the mind for Canadian, you know, or anyone else listening, a mind blowing scale of contempt and disregard for the players, which to return to Steven's point about, um, you know, protecting the sport that we love, uh, we've got to reveal these stuff. We've got to reveal the contempt and the disregard for the players because that way we can, you know, you know, protect the sport and also give these guys the just. Deserves they 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 deserve. <clears throat> twenty ten South Africa World Cup. We know Dan Tan and the guys were there. I did a big story for the New York Times on it. Um, and the Nigerians showed up. The Nigerian football team showed up in at twenty ten World Cup. Now, most of the time, say I don't know Argentina when they show up to one of these big World Cup tournaments, um, and you'll see it by the way when you go to their hotels. There's like. A couple of chefs, so that the guys are always eating you know, yeah. what they 're used to, and nobody 's poisoning it right. a couple of physiotherapists, a goalkeeping coach, a mental health coach, um, you know all kinds of but you 'll have, have a professional team of maybe fifteen to twenty and then twenty one players. The Nigerians show up with one hundred and fifty five one hundred and fifty five and and they and 're talking girlfriends, mistresses. Uh, you know, sub sponsors and they're showing up at this five-star hotel and they realize there's not enough room for uh, everyone. So they come up and, and this is the disregard that players face. They kick out the players. The officials with their mistresses, girlfriends, wives, whoever, stay at the five-star hotel and the players are forced down the street to stay in this two-star motel beside a highway. And that's their preparation before they go and play three of the biggest matches of their lives. Same thing with Togo Uh, in 2006, there was a player strike in the German world cup 2014, the Cameroonians and Ghanaians had strikes on the field where there was punch-ups going on between the players and the Ghanaian president, not the Ghanaian president of their soccer association, but the president of the entire country had to charter a private plane with the player's salaries and fly it. Over to Brazil to pay these guys. Yeah. Now again, one of my heroes, Sully Montari, is a fantastic player, really big spirited guy. He takes the cash and he literally walks down into a really poor area of uh, you know one of these favelas and he starts just throwing out the cash to all these poor people. Really. Showing this wow. isn't about me as a greedy guy taking the cash. It's that it's the principle of the thing. You wow. pay me. Now, just to finish with, with Ghana, you know, because we've been kind of flirting around the conversation of danger and investigations. <clears throat> when I did the investigation in, in Ghana, which is, you know, Stephen knows is the last section of my first book. Yeah. I was in and out of the country a number of times for a few weeks. The real danger is the investigative journalist in the country. And for years, I was talking to the guys there saying, guys, you should do this. And they're like yeah yeah whatever and they did stuff on um human trafficking and they did stuff on corruption in the factories and they did stuff on all kinds of other stories anyway just before the 2018 world cup uh along with because they were had now received funding from the bbc africa bureau they did a big takedown they exposed all kinds of corruption in african football um including one of the referees that fifa had selected to be a referee at the 2018 World Cup, they convinced on an you know, on-camera undercover sting to take a bribe for 500 US dollars. Oh That's God. how much it cost to buy a World Cup referee, 500 US bucks.
3: That's absolutely mental. That is.
2: Uh, well, mental. here's the real sting in the tail. Six weeks after that investigation, one of those journalists is murdered. And the further sting, is that nobody has ever been arrested for it. And a number of prominent football club owners said openly, somebody should kill those journalists. Jeez! And six weeks later, there are a couple of armed gun- gunmen waiting outside his parents' home. Guys like a dutiful son returns home for Sunday dinner. As he's coming out, they shoot him and leave him for dead in
0: the road. Wow. Wow. So that, oh, that, right. just, that, that jumps to my head. It's like, Declan, I know you're doing you're doing the world's work here. Like, is it is it really, like, is, I know it is worth it to you because you're doing it, but the first thing that comes in my head is like, is it worth it? Are you afraid? I, I, I don't, it scares me.
2: Um, look, it, it was very, very dangerous. Uh, absolutely without question, it was dangerous. Now there have been over 36 national police investigations around the world into this. Um, and so I, you know, I don't have those issues anymore. Um, I have issues where lots of match fixers come and talk to me now uh, voluntarily because they're having arguments with their gangs or on their, or they're on their run or they want to come on the other side. Um, So I don't have those. I don't have to do those undercover stuff anymore. Um, What I have to do is wrestle with sporting authorities around the world, particularly in our country of Canada and say, guys, this is a betrayal of principle. It's a betrayal of sport. It's betrayal of our young people and, and really, I, I think for any soccer listeners, which is everybody listening to this podcast, we as a nation are underperforming. And part of the reason why we're underperforming as a, as a soccer nation is because of match fixing and because of corruption.
0: Yeah. So before, if I can we'll, jump. Sorry, I'm just going to jump in real quick here, just because yeah, uh, I know the listeners.
1: I want to fight me, you, Mark, because I mean, I'm so excited to ask this question. Go, okay, go.
0: Yeah, hang on to that. I'm going to just circle back to the Asian gang that you did infiltrate. I mean, I, I know... Uh, we kind of glossed over it but for me like interesting how how did they come to accept you or let you hang around and i don't want to put you under pressure to say something that's dangerous but like how do you get into that how do they how do they say okay Declan, you can hang out you can watch us fix this because that's where you got most of your concrete evidence correct
2: yeah uh, i mean i i i uh... After I got, you know, after I, they told me all their stuff, I went and corroborated it with the players and the coaches and the officials. I, I even corroborated it with a guy, Seth Blatter, the president of FIFA. Um, you know, Stephen will tell you reading the book, I went to, I went to the Zurich headquarters of FIFA. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's like, oh, yeah, I know all about those Asian match yeah. fixes. They're yeah. at every tournament. You're like, why don't you do something about them? I know. I know. So it, it wasn't just the undercover work. It was the corroboration afterwards that, that took a lot of... Um, full-on uh, intensity. Um, it was dangerous. It is an important story. And I don't wanna ruin um, the book for Steven who's almost about to finish, but the final okay. chapter is about what soccer means to a group of young women in a slum in Africa and mm-hmm. how it's got a redemptive power to it. Yeah. How soccer is really effectively their modern day religion. And they're able to beat the mafia. They're able to beat the corruption around them because soccer offers them a fair opportunity and a fair chance. And, you know, it can do that. And it's a beautiful sport. And actually, it can be cleaned up really, really easily. So it's a fight worth doing. It's a fight worth engaging in.
3: That's part of Um, uh, like your, uh, sorry, Jay, I know we're killing you. We're going to do this for the rest of the show, by the way, until you can never ask (laughs) your question. I'm going to keep doing it now because it's fun. But that's what gets me early. And I haven't got to the last chapter. But when you talk about the 2006 World Cup and you, like, I've just read plenty of examples and chapters and you've infiltrated more than one Asian gang and you still don't believe the fixes will happen. Then they happen. Then you don't believe it'll happen again. I'm like, he's in the midst of it. And that's how I feel. And then how you said at that final match, you know, you did sit for a minute and you, it's like your innocence was completely broken at that point. Yep. Yep. And that, that I actually had to put the book down because uh, <laughs> that was so well written. Well, but you also, kept
1: on sending us texts. You sent him texts of stuff. screenshots and I was like gripping. I was like, when are you done the book so I can read it? Like,
3: yeah. but oh, it's, because, I, don't, I don't
2: want to suggest anything, but you could triple my sales by each buying a copy. You know, you don't have to share the same one.
3: Wait a minute. Yeah. How does this work?
2: Yeah.
3: You each purchase it. Yes, each purchase. Yeah. Yes, Got it. and
2: I know Jason will try to run to the library, but Jason, they're all closed down <laughs> at the moment. Just go to Chapters, buy the book and stuff. Okay. And by the way, there's there's a description of riveting sex in it as well. So just to, yeah, just yeah, to add yeah, you guys,
0: we heard that one. But Steve, tell them you see, st- we can't we couldn't get your book if we wanted. Declan, say Steve, you went to Chapters, it was completely sold out.
3: Yeah, it's the worst story ever. I, I they said they had one copy. I drove all the way across the city because this is like two weeks ago to make sure I read it before he came on, and then I get there and they're like we don't have it. I'm like, no, check over there. You said you held it. Didn't hold it. Anyways, I was raging. It's not that important. But just to cut Jason off again, on your protection, I do know in the book, it's, you said you sent documents to two separate lawyers. Yep. And that was like, and if one, if someone comes after you, that they would then release it. And I love that it's two separate lawyers that there was, that's how dangerous that if they get to one of the two lawyers, you have a backup lawyer. That's incredible. <laughs>
2: It, it, it's pretty full on. Um, I, and I'm sorry, Mark, I realized I didn't answer your question fully, which is how did I infiltrate the gang? And I think that it, it's really helpful for our listeners now to do what I did at the New York Times. I remember going in to, to meet their full editorial bureau uh, or board, and I said, You got to take a quantum leap of your imagination. Hmm. There's stuff going on that, in our professional sports world is just, it, it's just unimaginable. And, and the fixers were so well known in Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia, Thailand, everybody knew who they were. It wasn't like, oh, you know, how do I track them down? Everybody knew. And so it was a question of um, approaching them. And I just approached them. And, and again, you read about this in the book, there's a pretty full on meeting late one night in a golf course. Where they're actually claiming that not only they're fixing games in the southeast asian games kind of a mini olympic tournament um but also in the bundesliga and they were giving me the score of a bundesliga game before it actually occurred um and i I remember about an hour through this i just was like and you know it was full on there were a number of goons around and all kinds of stuff happening and a beautiful woman on the bed and stuff i i i just said to this guy i you know what's the biggest fix you've ever done and he's like i don't know what what's bigger the olympics or the world cup <laughs> and so shit. and and the thing is a lot of the times when you see these movies, um, people are very disrespectful to the mob. You know, they're like, "Oh yeah, I told him." Ha, ha. In real life, like any sign of disrespect for these guys is just a death warrant. So, um, I, 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 was saying, look, I'm so sorry. Uh, you know, I know you can fix these games in Asia. I, I, know, you know, your track record. It's, you know, everybody tells me you're the biggest fixer, but I can't believe that you can fix the Olympics or the World Cup. Mm-hmm. And the guy looks at me and goes, really? Well, watch me. And that was that entrance in. Yeah. That was the entrance in. And I, I don't think that they thought that I was going to be able to expose them or, or do that. And and to be fair to them, even after I published the book in 2008, and there was a massive amount of, of publicity about it, and soccer fans around the world really took it seriously, the soccer officials did not. And it took... A whole nother separate investigation by a bunch of small town cops in northern Finland, north of the Arctic Circle, for it gradually, three, four years after that, for gradually to be exposed. But even then, the International Police Organization was helping cover up how bad it was and and all the, 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 the full shenanigans that were actually going on. Declan. Jason, before anybody Declan. else has a chance to, to take yeah. your moment, this is it. Okay, Jason, just yeah, unplug Mark it. and Steven and just let's go for it. All right? You and will talk. Yeah. Yes, let's go.
1: It's me and you, Decky. Can I call you Decky for this question? No.
2: Yes, because everybody always does on the football okay. field. Okay, okay. That could have been a dark including turn. Including the Ottawa <laughs> Royals, Declan. Okay, or yes. I, against, yeah, everybody's fantastic, is like shouting. I'm like, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, are you better than him? Just a quick question.
2: Definitely not. And I remember playing against him, and uh, we both played in the center midfield. We both have a similar intensity. I think I fouled him any number of times just (laughs) because I needed to, like, do something to the guy. Anyway, I finally figured out midway through the second half that when people are shouting Declan, they're actually talking to him, particularly when they're saying Declan, good play. I'm like, couldn't be me? Anyway, I finally went up to him and said, is your name Declan? And, you know so is mine he goes well i won't repeat it because there's children on the thing but you know a four-letter word followed by off and then you fat and then another prominent <laughs> word came. that's him so that was my first introduction to declan now to be that's- fair i had fouled him and i kept fouling him for the rest of the game so but but i'd always been gentlemanly i hadn't actually called him any of those words so, yeah. no he
1: he is a top player to be fair now I need to ask this question because in your podcast you talked about um this part. And I think it's important for the listeners because this really helped me um make make that jump to understand the fixing with referees. And I, I know people are probably rolling their eyes. I'm not against referees. I love referees, especially since our last episode with referees. I loved it. Um but the, the move up for referees is an incentive to be oh, you want hey, do you want to ref this top international game next this is a little uh, piece of candy for you um if you if you fix this game it'll or either they say it's like you know i'm trying to put pieces of your podcast together uh, yeah, on the look,
2: floor, um, but, um but like i i, then, I did a part, yep sorry yep
1: and then just a two-part question that so it's how do the referees work with that because we you heard some of the players that, but there's an element of referees and also i was at the 2002 world cup korea and italy i was in that stadium everyone i talk to thinks that game was fixed all their italian listeners right now they say that's fixed and Juan was kicked off the team from um i guess, i forget what team was it uh whatever it doesn't matter he was sent home from the italian team because they thought that game was fixed that's what tied with the referee thing so i don't know if you can answer that or able to like was that game fixed and if it was, it was probably the referee because I think he gave away the penalty on that.
2: Um, okay, so uh, I'll answer the one about the Italy-South Korea match. First, certainly everybody inside FIFA thought it was. Um, and it, they thought it was fixed, not for gambling, which is what we've been talking about so far. Right, okay. But, f- but from a kind of official corruption. And that's the low-grade fire which the new fixing, which I identified, which is you know, linked to this massive globalized sports gambling market. Again, there's always been fixing linked to the gambling market, but what's happened to the gambling market is it's become globalized like TV and you know, travel industry and journalism. And so it was like dumping petrol on this thing. Mm -hmm. So 2002, South Korea, Italy, within that confines of FIFA, uh, among my sources, among officials, they're all convinced it was fixed. Mm -hmm. And they're all convinced that the referee was fixing it to suck up to the South Korean hosts. Mm -hmm. And, And to be fair to that belief, as you guys know, the referee who was at the very center of this was arrested for bringing in a significant amount of uh, drugs, illegal yeah. narcotics into the United States yeah. and served nine years in jail. Yeah. Um, so it's not like he was the cleanest gentleman in, in the entire universe yeah. um, to get back to the, the earlier question, Jason, which yeah. was how do referees, like what's the, what's their role yeah. what's in this? Their, and,
1: yes. and
2: I literally could talk about this for four hours, if not longer uh, I've written again, as Stephen knows, an entire chapter on the sex lives of referees in the Champions Leagues, because it's so common for sexual bribery. So uh, I was talking to a number of Champions League's referees, and they would say, we arrive at our hotels at one o'clock, and by two o'clock, there are knocks on the door with available young women being given to us by the local team. No, that doesn't happen in every single Champions League game with every single Champions League team, but it happens so frequently, even now, that no referee is particularly surprised. And there's a really good way of stopping it that's super, super easy, and that's just promote women referees. Yeah. Like, just incentivize them, not because women are necessarily less corrupt, but it instantly breaks that boys will be boys atmosphere that you'll often get when referees and the officials are all traveling together. They're all from, I'm just going to make this up, but Slovenia, for example, and they're suddenly going into Italy or Spain and the Real Madrid guys are treating them. Um, So there's that endemic official corruption, but thank you for listening to my podcast, Crime Waves podcast. Mm -hmm. I did a big interview with Tim Donahue who yourself and the listeners will know was the NBA referee who was hooked up with the elements of the Gambino crime family. And what he said to me, which, which just was like blew me away, was that the NBA officials were giving indications to the referees where they wanted the fix to happen. So if you had, um, you know, the dream for the NBA officials and and that time in the, in the two thousands while Donahue was working and, and working at a very high level. I mean, he did the NBA finals four years in a row. He was one of their top referees, but the NBA executive dream is New York playing Los Angeles in the final. Yeah. That's their dream. Of course. And so when you have the smaller teams playing the larger teams, um, even pushing the games to five, six, seven games in the series, the NBA is pushing that and pushing that and indicating to the referees that's what they wanted to go, that's what they want. And you realize that some of the professional sports leagues in in North America, if that is true, are more like entertainment leagues, yeah. they're more like WWE than they are soccer leagues. Yeah. Um, and so, it's part of my fight now as a professor now living in America to start start stopping that, start, start changing that dynamic.
3: So that you alluded to that earlier, that referee chapter and <laughs> how you were faced in a very similar circumstance now in the book.
2: Yeah. I was taken out by um, uh, a couple of match fixers in Singapore. Yeah. They got me drunk. There was a couple of really attractive bar girls, 18 year old bar girls uh, in this place. And I ended up snogging with them and doing whatever in the back of the bar. The match fixer took lots of photos of me and about fifteen minutes later, I was just like, "What the hell am I doing? You moron! Like, you know, you, you yeah. idiot! Yeah. You know, good fun, but this is not. This is professional fun, and I've been set up, and I'm an idiot." And and um, when we were putting the book together, myself and the legal team, yeah. it was just like, you know what? We don't want this in the closet.
0: Yeah.
2: And two, if you're writing this book saying much of international football is corrupt, you got to be honest with your listeners. You got to be like, hey. I don't bet. I've never placed a bet on yeah. any sports gambling in my life. I, I hope to continue that um, because my readers and my listeners and, and all the people who are listening need to know this guy stands up. And, and yeah. that event in the back of a bar in Singapore was the worst yeah. that I did. Um,
3: but you know what, anyway. like for me, it completely sold me on all the credibility of it. I went from 99.9 to 200%. Yeah. And it also shows you the other side, right? It shows you like all of a sudden it's not, it's not that hard. Like who are we to judge? We are to judge and everybody is to judge and stuff. But at the same time, like there it is. It's, it's just like, it was fascinating to that part. And Brother, I-
2: Thank you very much for that kind gentlemanly response. Cause I've got, I've got texts from people in Vietnam. You know, I read your book. It was really boring until page 155. Whoa! <laughs> oh, oh my gosh two women oh you crazy dog so um thank you very much for that gentleman oh, was the, yeah. i think i've got to say Stephen, you're much nicer than mark and jason told me the, thank you're you really very much
0: good.
2: yeah we got work to
0: do jay we got work to do <laughs> yeah so i'm gonna i'm gonna flip a, a pretty basic question but it may not turn out to be basic but my head just goes now i watch i love club soccer and I love, you know, these big tournaments. Is there one that they target more than the other? Like, is one easier to fix than the other?
2: Yeah, I remember talking to um, uh, a match fixer, one of the prominent guys out of Asia, and uh, I was saying, do you you fix a lot of games in England? And he goes, yeah, we do a little bit in England, but we we really love Turkey. And I'm like, well, why do you like Turkey? He goes, because we can fix anyone. We can fix, like, the league, you know, the, the, the president of the team will come and work with us, and there's no chance of us being arrested. So, yeah, we won't do as much work there, you know, um, not as many people watch the Turkish League as they would watch the English League, sure. but the risk is so much lower. Um, yeah. Uh, and I'll do a quick review of the number of match, number of countries where match-fixing investigations have taken place in the last five years. Greece, where I was a, a witness in a high-profile court trial with over 100. Cyprus, where there have been a series of fire bombings linked to referees not participating in a referee's mafia. Um, all the Lebanese people listening to us will know that their entire Lebanese uh, soccer team um, was working with the fixers at one time, or, or almost every single one of their players wow. or their prominent players. So, there was also a sex referee, sex uh, bribe uh, going in with some of their national referees. The Turkish Football League is just a walking, talking national disaster. Um, there was a, a, a major investigation, which is something going to be shut down by Erdogan, the, the, the president, because his favorite team wasn't implicated in it. Um, that was part of what I was doing with my podcast with the Turkish NBA player who had been arrested and stripped of his citizenship and is now living basically in this stateless um, country. You know, just, he can, he cannot leave the United States because he'd be internationally arrested. Uh, Slovenia, Slovakia, Germany, Austria, Finland, Norway, Sweden, um, Denmark, Uh, England, obviously, Uh, Scotland had one uh, uh, match-fixing case just over the last summer. Uh, Ireland has had a case where the Russian mafia came in, Uh, Portugal, Spain, featuring really uh, senior players, former uh, international players and and Real Madrid players, uh, fixing seven or eight games in uh, uh, La Liga. Um, France has had cases. Look, there have just been dozens and dozens of cases, and now the fixers are moving into Brazil. Uh, Colombia all those places um, Africa is just going down the the sinkhole Uh, I had a call earlier today with a guy from Kenya um, talking about the Russian mob fixing games in in Kenya because you can buy players really really easily and referees really easily I mean your top price for a FIFA referee in Africa is 500 bucks and again just to return to this kind of thing I'm going to keep replying uh, keep you know, beating our, 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 our long suffering listeners with is the globalization
3: yeah.
2: of the sports gambling market. So yeah. 15 years ago, you couldn't place a bet worth placing on a Kenyan Premier League football match or even a second division premier, uh, game in Kenya. Yeah. Now, there are gambling sites with hundreds of different ones. At the, at the beginning of COVID-19, back in April, most of the big sports leagues had shut down. So, the Sweden, you know, because as everyone yeah. knows, Sweden was one of the few countries yeah. to keep going. Yeah. Their seventh division, and I can assure you, seventh division Swedish football is probably just above the level Declan Hill could have played at. I mean, it is really low, yeah. it's dreadfully low.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, and they were getting two or three hundred calls about match fixing, Jeez. saying, You'd better fix these matches. Wow um my, you know I'm, my
1: favorite story is the csl one can you talk about the one um uh the one that happened in the Niagara area i'm assuming it's with um it's we won't
2: even get into the in into the potential teams you know uh but look Fine. The Canadian Soccer League yeah. is an international embarrassment. I know it's now changed its name. It's now yeah. folded and you know, readapted and stuff. But I would go to these things and I'd be like the gadfly, you know, as the guy who, who, who talked about international match fixing, all this kind of stuff. And I'd, I'd be really socking it to FIFA and Interpol and all these organizations, which I thought are still in some ways complicit with the corruption. And inevitably, some French guy would stand up and go, Mr. Hill, you are talking about all this stuff going on, but I will tell you, the Canadian Soccer League is a embarrassment. Wow. And he was right. Or, you know, whichever French guy would stand up and say these things. Yeah. Um, they were right. The Canadian Soccer League was so bad that Interpol sent, and, and Interpol is probably my least favorite international policing organization. I mean, they really, really were complicit with the Singaporean government covering up a lot of this stuff for a long time. It's gotten better now, but it was really bad for a long time. Anyway, they sent, uh, you know, a cadre of people, and bless their heart, this was good work on their part. They had really done it. They did a high-level meeting with senior Canadian soccer officials and senior Canadian police and law enforcement and government from the sports ministers. And the Canadians, Approach to this was like, oh, there's nothing we can do. And, and Jason, to tell you the story, I mean, it was notorious how bad the Canadian Soccer League was. And so one time, and much of the, much of the fixing was coming from teams bringing in players from the Balkans. And they would win or lose at command. So um, there was one particular game in the Niagara Peninsula where the other team, which was fully Canadian just said, forget this. Like, it's clear what's going on. This is a much better team, and they're trying to lose against us. So, in around the 67th minute, they just, like, they just snap. And they grab the ball, and they start running towards their own <laughs> net to score in their own net. Like, they were saying, okay, we're not, not going to take part in a fixed game. We're going <laughs> to screw you guys up. You're a bunch of morons, and we hate you. So, we're going to no. score in our own net and lose the game. So, the Balkan boys go no. running down the field <laughs> – And they start defending the Canadian guys' goal. So so for like the last 20 minutes of the game, the Canadian guys are trying to score in their own goal. And then the Balkan boys are grabbing the ball and they're running towards their own net to score in their net.
0: What is happening?
3: Like it's just
2: outrageous. And again,
0: if I just want to jump in here, and and that leads to one of my questions. Like, yeah, please if you do accept the bribe or a fix or a money or whatever, and that result doesn't happen. Now, are you paid like beforehand or are you, are you like, are you toast if that happens? If, if you agree to do something and then you, you don't not don't, don't do it on purpose, but you're one of 22 players, right? I mean, anything can happen. So what happens if it doesn't go that result?
2: Um, Well, look for any of our listeners who are uh, wondering how to break into match fixing. One of the best (laughs) ways of, of breaking the ice with a match fixer is to ask them how many, times it's gone wrong and tell tell me some funny stories about and and they've got like lots of funny stories and remember they're watching the game so they can tell who's trying and who's not yeah um there was a classic example in a Serie a game uh it used to be on youtube i'm not sure if it's still there the brazilian star forward who's not in on the fix grabs the ball in the last couple of minutes runs down the field and scores a goal and he's like running around celebrating goal. And his team is not celebrating with him. Oh, wow. And he comes <laughs> off the field and they just lace into him because they were all on the fix and he wasn't. Wow. So it's, in, in, in a que- case like that, there wouldn't be re- repercussions. Yeah. Um, there's a kind of strange dance between the fixers and the players and the coaches and all these kind of things because the fixers need these guys. And they'd much rather have a long-term relationship with them than just fix one game. So um, you know, uh La Liga in Spain, which is the top league in Spain, had notorious fixing for a long time. And people would be like, Oh, well, why? Like, why are these small teams in La Liga fixing? Said, Well, one, they're really poor, two, they haven't paid their players in months, three, if they go to their Bernabeu and they lose against one of the top teams, if they lose to Real Madrid or they lose to Atletico Madrid above the spread, who's going to notice? Yeah.
0: yeah.
2: And you get that fix, You get that certainty, which will return 30, 40% of your cash.
3: Sure.
2: You know, I, I defy anybody who's listening to get cash, like 30, 40% of their cash back in two hours. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like it's, it's a great thing. Yeah. And then you just do it a couple of weeks later and you do it a couple of weeks later and then you start getting creative. You say, okay, guys, try really hard for the first half and then lose it in the second half. And that'll quadruple your cash, if not add more. Um, part of the La Liga fixes, um, which have now, uh, you know, been proven in a court was a parlay bet. That's where you layer your bet. You have to get several different outcomes for mm-hmm. it to come home. So it was the number of corners, it was first half, second half, and it was the final result of the game. And they were getting 27 times their original stake back. So if they came in with 10,000 euro on that, suddenly they're talking well over a quarter of a million. And so they're building these long-term relationships Mm -hmm. with these players so they can do that.
0: Unbelievable. That's incredible. So a big corporation, I don't know if it's called a corporation, but a big organization like FIFA. Yes. Can, it, can we fix them, or can they fix themselves, or does that need to be disbanded and a new uh, organization come in, or are we too far gone?
2: Um, I, I think we, we, we've got to scrap it and start again, um, and I want to be very clear with our listeners that the officials, the actual people working in Zurich, they're many, many good people. Like They genuinely care about football, and they genuinely work really, really hard but you've got a system which is basically set up like organized crime. And, and I'm not using those words lightly. Mm-hmm. Um, again, as our listeners know, there was a FIFA gate trial in New York a couple of years ago
3: yeah. where they
2: had three of the senior FIFA executives. And the prosecution said, you know what? We've gone through all these documents. We've arrested over 40 of these people. And it's clear this is an organized crime grouping. And we should invest we should hold this trial yeah. under a Rico, like a wow. statue brought brought in by Giuliani in the in yeah. the eighties. You know? mm-hmm. So yeah. this is a racketeering organized crime group. Almost extraordinarily, the judge agreed with them and went, like, you know what? it's it. not a sports organization it's actually an organized crime group Wow! now here's the real stinger remember i was saying to you guys earlier in our in our uh, interview that you've got to take a quantum leap of imagination when you're when you're talking about these stories yeah. so here's the jump to another le- level the defense lawyers agreed the defenders said the defense oh. lawyers said you know prosecution judge you're absolutely right fifa is an organized crime group it's just that our individual clients were innocent people, but that general milieu wow. was corrupt, was so corrupt it's like an organized crime group. And this is, this is the protection racket that's going on in FIFA. <clears throat> if you're the president of a national football association in, say, Ghana, I'll just pick on the Ghanaians, it's basically a license to print money. Yeah. You can do anything. You can rip off your sponsors. You can extort players. You can. Um, every time there's an international transfer of a player from a developing nation like Croatia, it's often expected that the president of the National Football Association will receive a cutback, will receive a, a bribe for signing the paper to allow that player to go to a big international club. And the reason why I chose Croatia was that the president of the Croatian Football Association, at the same time that their team was getting to the final of the World Cup in 2018, was on the run for exactly that crime. Exactly that crime. And again, I I could talk for eight to 10 hours about corruption and, and match fixing and mafia in the Balkans, but what to return to the protection.
3: Yeah.
2: If the local police authorities, in many cases, in Ghana, Argentina, Iran, Greece, uh, including much of the Balkans until quite recently, if the national police say, okay, we're going to go and a- investigate the National Football Association, we're going to go and arrest the president because we know what's going on, we know he's using the National Football Association as a cover for his criminal activities, FIFA says, if you're Poli- you're politically interfering with sport
1: yeah. and
2: we're going to cut you off from all fifa related activities now in america it's no big deal people american politicians are like really what is this thing soccer really Wow, i had never heard of this but in ghana in croatia in greece in iran in all these countries around the world you're a politician you don't want to mess with that no. because you're yeah. you, whether you're a dictator like vladimir putin or 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 a democratic guy you don't want to mess with that because you're suddenly the politician that stopped yeah. all soccer. Yeah. So you have this amazing protection racket.
3: Yeah. And
2: so those very same guys that are receiving protection from FIFA are the very people that vote for the president.
0: Crazy. So
2: until yeah. the sponsors wake up, smell the coffee and say, guys, we got to, we got to rechange all the FIFA. We've got to change this. System where people who are basically receive protection are the guys that vote for the president mm-hmm. and vote for the major things, there's going to be no systemic change at FIFA.
1: Yeah, like I, I what I liked about that the podcast that I was listening to is um, the guy you were interviewing, I forget, but he, he definitely was American. You were asking if it was coming to North America, basically, and basically, you were you're were, he just said, Look, you got to watch games with your you know with trust but with your eyes open like like because it's almost like he said and this this struck a chord with me like he he would think about games that he watched before thinking how the heck did that happen and then then you would like then then after all his research and uh, what he's done and match fixing be like oh that was probably a fixed match like for me it's the Liverpool game with the beach ball, I'll, I'll never get it out of my head. I know you said it's not in England a lot, but it was like the Hang weirdest on, just, thing
2: in the world. A just, beach just a ball second. Or? Just a second. Before, yeah. before you, you, you talk about the beach ball instant. Yeah. that guy, that American yeah. is Nicholas Radutsky, and he led the anti-match fixing teams at FIFA and UEFA. Okay. He
1: okay. just
2: retired from UEFA uh, two months ago, and that was the first exclusive interview he's ever given with wow. anybody. So wow, that guy isn't just a, that. A, isn't just a football fan off the street. It's the guy who's right in the pulsating heart of this stuff. He's saying mm-hmm. 2008, it's liverpool Beshik Tess.
3: Yeah.
1: Okay.
2: Look at that game. And off, it was after that game that I was speaking to those match fixers. Okay. Right. That so day. look at that yeah. Champions League. And just as a general quantum <laughs> leap kind of information, guys, Champions <laughs> League- Fifth and sixth game group stage is when the fixers come to play. Yeah, and it's yeah. not always the <clears throat> gambling fixers. It's often the officials on those clubs who know they're not going to go
0: on to the next stage yeah. start selling their points. Ah, uh, and is that sorry? I'm going to jump away, even though we wanted to wrap mark. up that the selling the points. Uh, the book. My one of my favorite books, The Miracle of I can never get it right. I'm Miracle of Castel de Sangro. Um. Yeah uh joe mcginnis i believe was the author and yes. he at the very end he was they were so happy oh, they, stayed up. they had one last uh, guest <laughs> and uh, go sorry, ahead go i just ahead. ruined the book for jay but you know what jay you told me you'd pick it up like two months ago so you're out sure. um,
1: um
0: yeah so like in italy i think the selling of points i, I heard you mention in your view this is commonplace now is it not
2: one, I, I spoke with Joe uh, before he died. Uh, we became good friends. Um, oh wow! Yeah. Uh, and and um, if you want good writing, read the Miracle of Castello yes. de Sangre. Yeah. It is yeah, beautifully, it lyrically, fantastically written.
3: That's that's um, been one of the snobs' recommendations, Declan. Just to, like, we think that's maybe the best one of or the best soccer book.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and and. And, and, and written with humor. Um, yeah. And when you talk about balls the size of grapefruit, that man had them yeah. um, because it's very clear who ran, who was the ownership of that team. Um, but it was beautiful and lyrical and, and superb, superb understanding. And he also taught himself Italian. Yeah. And, and very modestly, you, you don't actually kind of like it's only by the end that you're thinking, holy crikey, this guy really worked at this, yeah. really worked hard at that. So look, um, there is a grey market. So the white market is obviously, uh, you know, competing, you know, trying to win the league, making sure you don't get relegated, all this kind of stuff. The black one is match fixing, all those kind of, you know, human trafficking, all those kind of corrupt and corruption stuff. But there's a grey market of selling points, which is the system, and it's called that in. Italy, Il Sistema, which is the same in Portugal, it's the same in Greece, it's the same in Spain, it's the same in many football leagues around the world. And basically there's a threshold point somewhere around the three quarters of the, three quarters of the way through the season or two thirds of the way through the season that many of the teams, not all of them, in the middle of the table, the ones who know they're not going to be relegated, but they know they're not going to be promoted or, or running for a championship, start selling their points. So they go to the teams that are being relegated and they say, hey, you want you want to stay in Serie A? Well, if you go down to Serie A Bay, that's 60 million euro that you lose right there. Yeah. So it's probably worth two or three million euro for you to buy our points. We'll pretend to lose the game. Or sorry, we will lose the game. Our yeah. players will pretend. And, things. and I remember speaking to a Serie A player who'd participated in fixes. And he was saying, you know what? I hate fixing. You know why? Because I'm a football player, I'm not an actor. And what he was talking about was that when you're fixing like that, when your team president tells you to fix, you've got to you gotta go out and pretend that you're really trying. You gotta like, oh, you know what? Geez, I'm trying to miss that goal. Oh. And he hated that. He hated doing that. He wanted to be an athlete. That was his thing. So that gray market. Um, is there, it's flourishing, it exists in many leagues, and there's actually a really easy way of getting rid of it. It costs zero money. Like, zero money. And that's restructure your leagues. Yeah. So Scotland has moved towards doing that. Yeah. Specifically because of this issue. Where oh, before okay. you get to that threshold season, yeah. everything breaks apart and then you start playing again. It's yeah. brilliant. It costs zero money and it's part of what I'm my frustration with FIFA and UEFA is like, guys, don't tell me you don't have the resources to do it. Right. That. that costs zero money yeah. and you still can't do it. So
0: That's fascinating. I never knew why, because I'm a, i am I have a Ukrainian heritage. I follow the Ukrainian league and they break up and I never really knew why they kind of did that. Okay. That's, that's, that's fixing good.
2: in the Ukrainian league. No,
0: <laughs> no, I am shocked. I'm shocked. Don't ruin I mean, it
2: for me. <laughs> oh my gosh. But look, I mean, I think the Ukrainians, the Canadians, uh, the Chinese, it's not by accident we underperform. I mean, you look at the, you look at the quality of the Ukrainian sports establishment, yeah. um, uh, you know, their coaching, their capacity, what they were able to do during the Soviet Union era, you know, the great Dynamo Kiev. Yeah. Um, you know, again, like the Canadians, and, and by the way, for the listeners who are much younger than I am, and I, I presume that's pretty much all of them, we had a great team in the 1980s. Yeah, we had a team that went to the Nash, uh, Excuse me, to the World Cup.
3: Yeah, unbelievable.
2: Um, and and that team disintegrated because of match fixing. Really, they went to Singapore in 1986. They played in something called the Merlion Cup, and yeah. five of the players agreed to fix a match. Wow. four of them actually did, and wow. one of them didn't, and turned the rest in, and that team was broken by it. There was a trial in Ottawa, in the courtroom of Ottawa. It opened on a Friday, and on Monday, the case was dismissed. They said there's no jurisdiction because the event happened in another country and because we don't have a specific criminal code against match fixing. And the the thing that gets me is that not only was this great team disintegrated, you know, people hated each other. There was things... um, um, I, I've spoken to many of the, the members of that team and they okay. said the Canadian coach, this wasn't some foreigner, this wasn't some yeah, German yeah. guy they brought in to make it good. This was yeah. a, a Canadian guy and it broke his heart. He oh, was man. a broken man after that. Wow. that. The guys that he'd trusted that had brought in, that he mentored that they would, that they would do that. Um, so I, I I'm not speaking lightly. I think there are many, many problems with Canadian soccer. And I think that, um, Our government doesn't back Canadian athletes. Um, It betrays Canadian um, things. I could speak for hours again about young men and women playing in the Ottawa soccer leagues who are not given opportunities to shine up until the age of 16. I'd say the Ottawa soccer leagues are equal with almost anywhere in the world. And then they're betrayed, but match fixing, hits the Ukrainians, it hits the Chinese, it hits us really, really badly. And we're underperforming on an international stage because of it.
0: Wow. Wow. So I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna switch gears here and I'm kinda of ask you some rapid fire questions. Usually they're rapid fire, but because you're so fascinating, I don't want you to rapid anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want you to expand fire. Don't let me
3: ask them or they won't be rapid fire.
0: Yeah, yeah. So sure I'll I'll, one, I'll do my best, guys. Yeah. So the first some are, some are soccer related, some are, uh, are yep. uh, off the top of my strange head in my, my weird world. But should Qatar be allowed to host the World Cup? Oh,
2: Absolutely goodness. not. Absolutely not. No. They are the home of international human trafficking. Mm-hmm. They bought that World Cup, yeah. um, you know, but but they have continued to do it. And not only do they continue to corrupt, um, uh, you know, FIFA and, and, um, you know really be a human trafficking international human trafficking hotspot they've actually made my job much more difficult um in terms of fighting for international sports integrity because they've set up all these front organizations which are funded with qatar money that pretend to fight against match fixing and all this stuff no qatar should be stripped of it
0: good wow in your time involved in the match fixing uh, area in uh, match fixing in in asia now, if somebody's approached to match fix and they say, no, thank you. Is there pressure on that? Are they forced to do it or did they just move on to the next guy?
2: It depends on, on the, the quality of the player. But much of the time, the players are so desperate for cash uh, that they can find somebody else in, in two minutes. Um, you know, I, one of the ma- current match fixes that is one of my sources, um, and he and his gang have fixed much of international tennis, Uh, He was saying, look, it's harder for us to fix the gambling market, you know, to get enough cash in. So the bookmakers don't know what we're doing until the last until we've basically taken their cash than it is to
0: find players that are willing to fix. Okay. wow. Um, Now, who do you tell if like somebody approached me? I'm playing for the Royals in a huge men's game here at Hornet's Nest. Who do I tell? Like who do you tell on like do you can't go do you just tell the local police or who do you tell good question
2: it's a brilliant question uh because fundamentally there isn't anybody that you can trust i would say go to the media uh, because light exposes the scandals Um, a quick diversion. I know you're asking for lightning fast questions. but remember in the last question I was talking about how the Qatar people had come in and were funding a lot of these, quote, sports integrity organizations to control the debate around uh, sports integrity. I never go to any of their conferences. I don't have any truck with the people who do. The Russians have also come in, and the Russians and the Qataris are offering whistleblower hotlines Because both of them have been so badly affected, with good reason, by independent whistleblowers. There was a a friend of mine who um, was a Russian anti-doping sports official, basically blew the whistle to the media on how systemic the Russian doping system was. So what did the Russians do? A few years later, they've set up this, quote, independent organization to make sure all the whistleblowers come to them. So my suggestion to anybody who... Um, his approach to fix or be corruption is immediately go to the media.
0: Yeah. Okay. Amazing. Next question. It's a tough one. Do people who drink orange juice with extra pulp, have they lost their mind?
3: <laughs>
0: Mark, I'm
2: sad to say that this interview is now over. I mean, there were some <laughs> questions that could never be asked. And that is one of them. I love my extra pulp. My really hey? you are, come on wow. it's, like it, it's drinking an orange mate i mean you're, you you know, clearly you're kind of like what the vanilla ice cream of the trio yes, 100% you know, the soft boy you know steven you know and jason are willing to bring it on I like, like, oh, pulp. No. I like my paul
1: i like my paul yeah
0: you know how bad oh, yeah. it is for me, Declan? I watered down my orange juice. Oh,
1: Jesus, Mark. Wow. Yeah. Do you
2: lie on the floor when you're drinking it in case, like, things <laughs> will happen to you? Yeah, Mark, I, can, I could tell. I can tell. Okay. On his
1: tummy?
3: Just get to yeah. your next question, Mark.
0: Yeah. Now, when you watch a soccer game now, are you hyper-focused on it? Yes. Like, are you hyper-focused, like, to, to the point where you can enjoy it? Or can you take off your your match-fixing goggles for anything at all?
2: Um, I love playing football. Um, I love it. So I go down to Brewer Park whenever I'm back in Ottawa. There's a Saturday morning game, 10 a.m. And just that smell of the grass. I love going to the – um, you know, Ottawa Tech High School. Um, you know, I go down there uh, when it's too cold. I'm playing outside. I love football. I think it's a fantastic sport. I even, you know, the, the, I'm walking down the, the the corridor going to Ottawa Tech and I can hear the squeak of the sneakers and the ball bouncing against the thing. And I'm like, my heart's pulsating. So I love that level of football. I just think it's fantastic. It's a fantastic sport. Um, there are games that I do continue to to watch i try to switch off that that little cynical stuff Mm -hmm. um but it's difficult
0: yeah it's december 11th today when we record um are your christmas lights up
2: yes yeah it's been a dark it's been a dark time for us all so i was like Christmas tree, lights. Got to get it up. Got to be happy. Right. Got
0: to do All it. Right. We're back on the same page. Now we can forget the orange juice debacle. <laughs> I don't think I can, mate. I don't think I can, Mark. That's, that's really, you know. Oh, like- my whole life revolving around getting them back. I need him back on my side. Would you rather do... Another boxing charity match or playing a soccer charity match? I think you just answered oh, that question. Soccer but- charity match.
2: Soccer. I mean, boxing is, is tough and, and one of the things I like about the Cuban guys is they were just like, You're too old for this. We'll help you we'll help you train. Yeah. But mate, like this is to you know, anybody <laughs> over twenty-five who's in a boxing ring shouldn't be there. Yeah. Like it, it is it is really and I I, I think the same I think one of the issues that I'm sure you guys have, have talked about is the effects of concussion, the effects of heading the ball in yeah. football. You know, we, we've got to be careful of this. So, no, I, I, I train as a boxer. I, I strongly recommend that training regime, uh, watching what you eat, skipping all that stuff, but yeah. no more fights.
0: Apple pie or apple crumble?
1: Oh, you got him. I yeah, love this. Look at him. Look at That's him. Are
0: we one, back? Lads.
2: That's we a back? tough one, mate. Okay, a wiggle out depends on who's cooking.
3: Oh, oh you know, Mark, you yeah. you just put him like this guy's been in like was... gangs and stuff. You killed him with that question. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
2: I'm I'm oh, trembling. I'm yeah. trembling. <laughs> Not as badly as you do when you're drinking orange juice. <laughs> <truly>. <laughs> no, no. I am trembling. Yeah. No.
0: no. So the last is more of a comment. Is marijuana Fellaini absolved from any match fixing investigation because he can't pass anyway?
1: it's so true
0: hey how bad? I mean come on come on Fellaini you have to give me that one I don't know what's happening
2: I don't think Conte I'm, I'm with Mourinho because Conte knew there was fixing going on and he didn't tell anyone he let his team fix and really. his thing was like, oh, I didn't take any money. Oh, yes, I'm an innocent man. But he's not innocent. He knew yeah. what was going on. And I like Jose Mourinho. I've never supported a team that he's managed, but I like his uh, cojones for calling yeah. him out on that and saying we got to stop this match fixing. Right. I like yeah. um, Brian Clough. Again, I'm, I'm probably yeah. dating myself to you know, most we of our know listeners. know Brian
1: Clough, yeah. But,
2: but Clough – came into Leeds United, and they never talk about this. And he no. said, I know you guys were fixing. Yeah. You tried to fix against Wolverhampton <laughs> Wanderers. You tried to fix, and you're too good for that. You don't need to, you don't need to do it. And yeah. the players threw him out. Yeah. And you also um, called the Juve, uh, Juventus uh, match-fixing ring that they were running in what was called the European Cup at that time. He was furious and he went to the media. So I have huge amounts of respect for guys like Clough, for guys like Mourinho, for guys like Arsene Wenger. Arsene Wenger um, not only spoke out against Bernard Tapie's uh, match fixing he was doing at Olympique de Marseille in the 1990s, but there was a crucial meeting where members of the Corsican mafia that worked very closely with Bernard Tappi and Corsican mafia is like the Sicilian mafia in Italy. They're the hard boys. Yeah. And these guys called in Boro Primarak, who was the uh, coach of one of the teams that had fixed against four on the orders of Bernard Tappi. Yeah. And Tappi was sitting there with a couple of Croatian mobsters and said to Boro Primarac, you'd better change your story. When the prosecution lawyers come and the cops come to ask you, you change your story. And Borel Primorak walked out of him and said, I'm not going to do that. Football is too much, too important to let it be controlled by thugs like you. Wow. Oh. And Wenger heard about this. And when he moved to Arsenal, he phoned up Borel Primorak who'd been kicked out of the French game. is kind of like, you know, on the sidelines and said, you're going to coach my team. You're one of the guys who's coming out. So he, Borel Primorak was not only, a very good coach he was part yeah. of the reason why the arsenal was so good for so long but he was also a man of tremendous integrity yeah. so long answer Important. I'm sorry but I have no time for the guys like Conte yeah. who could have blown the whistle and I have a lot of time for the Mourinho's the Wenger's the Brian Clough's and the Boro Primorax
0: I just want to um to really thank you here like we said it in the intro a bit you know you're a world-renowned author academic but your passion and and this like you know, you've said it, you risked your life and you're, for, for the game that we enjoy on the weekends. Like you are a different level of journalism and like, you know, it's, it's almost hard to say because
2: yeah. the game I, no, we, no, look, I, 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 yeah. I, don't think, I don't think you and most of our listeners would have done anything differently if you'd, you'd had the opportunity. Um, it was simply, um, you know, I, I was given a, a rare opportunity to be in a certain place, and then you got to go home and look at yourself in the mirror. You know, this is the World Cup. This is the Olympics. This is like serious stuff. Um, and, yeah. and football means so much. And again, when Stephen gets to that last chapter where you see these young women who are really living in incredible destitution and, and what football can do and how it can bring. And what a symbol, what a, what a, what a vehicle for teaching good values to people is. It, it's extraordinary. um jason we've given you a lot of hard time um let's have let's give you the final word today
1: i love that i love that you did that and i love that you said my name again (laughs) uh i'm just i want i have hope and i i i what resonated me in you in your podcast is you know it's coming to is it here and it's like it's like but there's hope i hope that we can fix it and i think that's your goal and i and i and that's why i love your energy and i and i think that if we just have hope and we 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 just i think it, i word. think it
2: needs more than that actually jason i'm going to call yeah. uh, call on you and call on our listeners because i think match fixing and general tolerance of sports corruption among canadian government officials has gone on for too long i mean our figure skaters have been systemically cheated in Olympic after Olympics by match fixing at the highest level. And those wimps at the Canadian Sports Ministry and those wimps at the Figure Skating Association or those wimps at the Canadian Soccer Association have never had the cojones to start fighting for Canadian athletes. I mean, the guy who's now president of CONCACAF, who is a Canadian, who ran the Canadian Soccer Association said he learned everything from Jerome Valky in terms of his businesses. Like and I'm sorry um, for our listeners. Jerome Valkyrie was the second in command at FIFA at the the height of corruption.
3: Yeah.
2: that's bad in my terms. But what it means is that for all the kids who are listening, for the parents of the kids coming up through the Canadian system, these guys are being these guys are betraying our sport, mm-hmm. and 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 it's enough. Like so, I would say to all our listeners, sport is a fantastic vehicle. It's a great symbol. It's a great way of teaching values and morals and our government i don't care whether they're conservative or liberal or whatever are letting us down and so we need to start writing to the canadian sports ministers and just saying hey guys stand up for canadian athletes stand up for ottawa athletes so at 15 16 they've got very clear career paths that they can go on um so th- that's my final word jason yes, mark steven thank you so much for having thank me thank you it's been an yeah.
1: honor sure. thank you so thank much you so much
0: Cheers, guys. Bye bye.
1: Thanks, thanks, Declan.
0: All right, thank you, Declan, very much, and uh, that wraps up our show this week, boys. Well, that
1: was that was crazy. Are
0: we, are we ever going to watch soccer the same?
1: I don't know if I can. Like is- I, 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 just thinking about like what the more corner kicks a team gets, somebody's betting that on that in Asia. Like I, I, that's gonna mess with my head.
3: It's al- It's almost like for me, that show was so good it's almost like there's too much like there's too much chocolate and I, I I, ate too much chocolate like it's so good there's so many parts of that that I, like my mind's having a tough time computing it like that's incredible those stories
0: you know what mine is my mind is almost blocking it like I don't want it like my mind's fighting against that information saying well no I don't want that to be true that's what I'm like feeling it's it's a weird feeling but it is I mean it's it's, it, it's good to it, know
1: it brought me back like I I, I coached a deaf team in, in Venezuela and we are playing Argentina, Like Canada versus Argentina, and the coach was whistling and the, the guys are supposed to be deaf and they're whistling. They're, he's making me think that somebody was betting on that game now that I think like were, were they like did they pay off people to pretend they're deaf? Like I, I just remember like being like so confused and I started whistling and I started yelling like every swear word I could like – puta puta I was like come on you puta so they would look and I was like one looked and I was like oh my god but like I think the point is like he even said like he tries to switch off and say like okay you know what it's there <laughs> like I said you know we still have or he said to have hope,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> hope. To, to hope to, like especially in North America that this doesn't come this rampant over here and so I'm just going to watch every game with yeah. one eye open from now on, just yeah. cause And you
0: know what? I still don't know the score, so it doesn't matter.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go.
0: yeah. Like yeah. I know, like, like the Royal rumble, I don't know who's going to win, but you know what? I still watch it. I yeah.
3: think uh, what's like ultimately impressive with him is not that he like, what I, at least impresses me is he's an investigative journalist and like Mark, you hammered it and asked him like such good questions about that and that world. And that's enough to uncover that story and to put yourself in there. The fact that he's doing things to try and also improve it and he's involved in these different organizations and trying to come up with ways to eradicate it from the game itself. Like he's actually part of the solution as well. Uh, After uncovering mostly the problem, I mean, he didn't come up with match fixing being in the sport, but he really put a light on it. That's ultimately what's impressive for me.
0: Yeah, that's huge. So let's wrap this down, babies. And, oh my God, what the hell was
3: that? Ah, <laughs> babies. We should. Oh baby? I feel like, right. like a trashy so teenager.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that got weird quick. Anyway.
3: Yeah. All see right. See you guys. Bye. Thanks very much for listening today. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. And of course, leave us a five-star review. If you want to get in touch, you'll find us on Instagram at SoccerSnob1, on Twitter at soccersnobs one by searching for us on Facebook, and of course on the web at wwwsoccersnobsca backslash listen. You can leave us your opinion, give us any comments, and if that's where you want to get nasty, feel free to do so.